0: Wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it.
1: And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking
0: <laughs> at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg.
2: Those situations are the worst. When you are on top yeah. of another
0: guy. The relationships are very important to that's what this place is built on.
1: That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm gonna end up in a Columbia
0: prison. At 95 Miami, is my fondest. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worship and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> come on, J.C.
1: I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the in- percent on that? Eleven.
0: It was a dream come true back then. And-
1: It's
2: a dream come through today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave for the love of the game. And I mow
1: the lawn after work, before the podcast.
0: Mm, We just got better, guys.
1: Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. This is a Sons of Saturday podcast, and it is brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in Radford, VA. In fact, if you're watching on YouTube, and you should be because we are live the McCoy's Auto Repair logo is almost like in my face. It's it's right there. So the advertising is front and center, but you'll also notice that we have a special guest with us tonight, not just Rob, my normal co-host, but also Doug Bowman from 247 Sports and VT Scoop. Doug, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. I said it's When you popped in, I said it's been about six months to the day, just about, that you were on with us talking in June about some commitments we got then. Well, what better time to have you back than a day like today that was one of the best for Hokies recruiting that I can remember in a long time, especially when it comes to the portal, uh, depending on how you view those JUCO guys. But we got some some key commitments today. But before we get into that and what veterans are coming back for 2024, as well as just the bowl game. We're going to get into a lot of stuff tonight. Rob, why don't you give us a cheers? Cheers to
2: 2024. (laughs) We'll get to the bowl game a little bit later, but needless to say things have um, bowl games have become increasingly less meaningful as opt-outs have happened and things like that. And this game has, uh, really changed course quickly uh, in terms of uh, anybody's expectations. So I'm, I am still excited about it. But um, today was awesome, and I am very, very excited for 2024. And we are going to hit on that as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to cheers to um, what um, is going to be a good season next year. Cheers, buddy.
1: <clears throat> and this is probably. Well, it might not be our last podcast of the of the year. There may be one more, but we'll just have to see about that. we got the Military Bowl coming up on the 27th. That should be fun. We may do a recap right after that. But regardless, we're not going to record again before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everyone that's out there watching. We have a bunch of people that hopped in the chat. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the channel, like the video if you're here with us. And if you're watching on X, come on over to YouTube because you can put your comment right in there and we can add it to the screen and all the rest. So make sure if you're in here, comment, ask us any questions you have. I was actually at the women's basketball game last night, and I, I know the sons of Saturday were posting a bunch of pictures and stuff, but there was a ton of Hokies there. There's probably at least 100 like in our crew, and it was loud every time Georgia or Liz were doing something. Now, Georgia had an awesome game and had some really sweet plays that were on the timeline today, but Eck – Matilda, she went for 25 points and hit seven threes in the game. Amor was 18-8. and Kitley actually didn't have a great night, but the other people picked her up, especially from the second quarter on, and it was a really fun experience. So I just wanted to mention that off the top. I know we're going to do a lot of football tonight, but the women's basketball game and just the support that that program has seen on the road and at home, it's it's really cool to see this year on the heels of that Final Four. Were you guys, did either of you guys tune into that last night?
2: I did not, but I did see – that was that game was the five hundredth career yes. win for Brooks
1: as well. So uh,
2: Eck really put him. I saw the seven three pointers, and I saw the five hundredth uh, career win for him. So congrats to him in the program, um, coming off of that Final Four from last year, and, and putting together a good season this year.
1: Yeah, five hundred wins. He was actually on ACCPM with uh, Mark Packer tonight. Coach Coach Kenny was, uh, so that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, big night for him. I am glad I was I was there to see it. Our Pick'em winner was Some Spread, huh? In the year-long hokey Pick'em that both Rob and I were not so proficient in. But the, the name behind Some Spread out, which I think is actually a Chris Berman quote from an old like ESPN commercial. He's like, Some spread, huh? And like Howie Long is there. But regard I think that's where Mike got it. But the guy's name is Michael. He was our winner 85 and 55 on the year, picking games on the Pick'em. And these are not his favorite plays. These were just, you know the 25 games a week that they get or the 10 games a week that they give us. So really well, really well done by Michael. I'm going to send you, a prize pack got a little trophy that's coming your way don't get excited it's it is it's it's kind of a a makeshift i remember a couple years ago it was a it was a white claw can so this year i have upgraded him to a beer but uh and you could drink it if you wanted to he
2: upgraded it to one of the trophies from his little league and uh that he found under his bed
1: uh, i just ripped the (laughs) nameplate off the guy's holding a soccer ball but it's all good but yeah well done mike congrats you will get your your package of of prizes here soon. Roster portal updates, and this is really what, what people want to hear about. This is why we have Doug on the show, but I'm just going to start with who we're losing a graduation. Uh, Kendricks, Pollard, and Payne, three key losses along the D-line, which made what happened today all the more, all the more powerful for 2024. Nazir Peoples, Tisdale, Cole Beck, that era has come to an end. Matt Johnson and Justin Pollock, are long snapper, those are who's graduating. Those are the guys who's not going to be back. We had our portal entries, which Daquan Wright, a couple weeks ago, Rob and I talked about that, Bryce Duke, Daquan Lofton, or Daewon Lofton, Derek Canteen, Johnny Dixon, uh, Chance Black, and Hunter McClain was the latest guy that entered one of our offensive linemen from a couple years back, entered the portal, and he is gone. Who's coming back? And this is where the good news is coming from. These were kind of the. I'm going to start with the COVID year slash NFL potential guys that are coming back. Two weeks ago, we heard from APR and Fuga, and and we we talked a little bit about that. Rob on College Football Monday last week got their recommitment videos because now every player that may come back needs to put out the recommitment video. But that was awesome to get those two linemen back. And then last Tuesday we got the big announcement about the wide receivers: Jennings, Felton, Gosnell, Lane are all coming back. All four of those veteran wideouts. Are coming back. I guess Mahul is broke now. I don't know because <laughs> we, we had to we had to pump some money across.
2: <laughs> Listen, uh, IBM bought, just bought Octo for a billion dollars. So uh, let's say owned by Arlington Capital. So he he sold to Arlington, but I think he probably had some uh, some rollover in that deal. So uh, the, the, yeah, some of those funds may have gotten directed elsewhere.
1: But, yes, we locked up all four of those wideouts. And then Thursday last week, Dorian Strong says he's coming back. Saturday, we got the one that a lot of people were waiting for, which was Bashaw Tootin. And so I don't want to diminish any one of these commitments, but the Bashaw one felt so huge for how key he was to our offense. Doug, what was your reaction just to getting some of these key pieces from last year's team, getting all of them back?
3: Uh, Just in general, it's pretty uh, – amazing is like the word I want to use. Like, I remember when the wide receiver video dropped and you're just like, especially in this era in the portal era, like it's kind of at the point where of like, you wouldn't be surprised if people left, like, and, and and even get going like, I think there's seven guys we're really talking about, even going like five out of seven would have been like, that's pretty good Um, to get all of them back. Is was something to get all four wide receivers back. I thought it was um, notable, especially considering Jennings is one of them, which he played in one game this year. So he's coming back to take some people's targets, some people's snaps, some people's receptions. Um, so to get all, them all on board, you know, Gosnell signed up for – he signed up for a fourth year as the number four wide receiver, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think it says a lot about Pry and the culture that he's built and the buy-in that he's gotten. I think it is a direct um, correlation from the proof of concept that we saw this year with the progress we saw on the field to get the six wins. Um, I don't think it. I, I doubt it happens if Tech doesn't um, show that kind of progress. And kind of, you know, you can only when you're a new coach, you can only talk about the vision and the future and to to believe in us and what we're telling you and all that stuff for so long. And especially these days, it's even shorter. Um, so I think without the progress we saw on the field, this probably doesn't happen. So it's a, um, an indication of that. So, I mean, it's just big all the way around. I mean, both of your corners coming back, all four of your receivers, you mentioned Tootin. I think he's a an X factor in terms of what he does. Elevating that room. Yeah, I think he's head and shoulders talent-wise above the other guys in that room. Um, and and what he does for Virginia Tech's offense in terms of giving them that, that balance with, with the four receivers coming back, with Drones, who he's he's a good runner in his own right, but he's even better when he also has an option to give, a, give the ball to a guy like Tootin. So I think all around, I mean, you can't be anything but amazed by, like, it is the ability to do this um, when, you know, you know, these guys were getting appealing, uh, certainly not direct offers. Nobody would ever directly offer to some, somebody on another <laughs> roster, but there are appealing opportunities elsewhere. And to, and to get the, the buy-in from every single one of them is pretty ridiculous.
1: And you alluded to the wide receiver thing, and that was the one I found the most shocking to get all four back three would have been great. Yeah. Two would have been kind of what I expected. I, I never expected to get all four back. And so I I'm totally jacked up about that, but you're right. It does show and maybe they don't realize it, but they probably do. These aren't dumb kids. Like it is going to cut into your targets. We didn't have Ali Jennings last year and he's a stud. So he, he is going to take receptions away and something that, Uh, Sam, me, and Rob were talking about last week was that this isn't an air raid system. You know, if if you if you're getting a guy back, like you we're gonna run the ball. That's what Pry has always said. He wants to run the ball. And so as a wide receiver, are you content taking your 40 catches and turning it into 35 or 30? And these guys, they're buying in because maybe they believe we have a chance at a championship. I'm not sure what pry and the NIL people and all the people that deserve credit for getting these guys back we're saying but whatever they did it worked
2: and and Pete I think you hit on something one toot staying I think is equally as surprising I you and I talked about this all season Pete there is no way he did not have strong offers from some big programs to make a transfer over there he him in a in one of the top echelon, you know, top 10 teams, um, with a really solid offensive line would be a, a monster. So, um, but what you just said, I thought was very pertinent here. It couldn't have just been the vision because the vision is not enough to get this many of the guys to all come back. Um, and it couldn't have just been the NIL money. So what I think is, really exciting for Hokie fans here is it had to be all of it had to kind of come together. There had to be the NIL support, the money there. There had to be the vision and there had to be good team chemistry for, for in order to get this many guys to all come back. And that is a level of cohesion that I don't think we've seen. And I can't recall in, you know, the last eight years to really see the program operating where you're like, damn, they got their shit together, like, and really went after this the right way, and put the vision with obviously some money and some incentive for guys to stick around, and
1: that's cool.
3: Yeah, think- and th- go go ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna kind of read, follow up with that. I, I I posted something on message board yesterday, thinking about along those lines. It was this is um, in a way it's validating for Whit Babcock's decision to hire Pry in that when that when that decision was made the 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 one knock on it was that he didn't have head coaching experience and that kind of went opposite of what babcock's hires to that point had been but the 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 like caveat with it was he doesn't have head coaching experience but he spent 7 years at a very high major program in penn state they're not ohio state they're they're not michigan pretty darn close and, and he was the right-hand man there for six or seven years and got plenty of experience dealing obviously the portal and all nil and stuff is new and people are learning it as we go along but i think there's something to be said about um understanding what it takes to to recruit and retain high-level players like a basial Tutin, like a Jalen lane like Amonsoor Delane that you just can't pick up anywhere else besides at a, a program like that. So I think you're seeing kind of the offshoots of that in, in how Pry managed this roster and the plan that was put in place to to even have a chance to retain seven out of seven or whatever it is.
1: And, and this is the reason that we say that Pry gets it. I know it's become a joke as time has wore on there's some t-shirts I think you can buy that say he gets it and whatever but he really does and the organization since we expanded the coaching roster because we're you know we're up over 45 yeah, coaches or staff members whatever you want to call it and They seem to know their areas they're supposed to recruit. They seem to know their responsibilities. The roster management seems to be significantly better. And we're going to see some of that too, in terms of the attrition as we move into spring and whatnot, because when we get to who we brought in, it means that we're going to be losing some guys off the roster throughout the spring as well. But he definitely gets it and understands what it takes to win at this level. Executing it, and figuring out where you're making mistakes is something we've gone through the last two years, especially at the beginning of both years. But to their credit, they figured stuff out and the team improved both years. We've had Pry, And now what's happening is some of the expectations after you bring all these guys back are going to be raised. Something that he hasn't really had to deal with yet and something we're going to talk about uh, shortly in a few minutes. I also see another guest in our green room I'm going to bring in uh, shortly here. You guys are going to love this one. But for right now, I just wanted to get to the underclassmen that have recommitted. We already heard about drones. Drones announced that a couple of weeks back on a radio show somewhere that he will be coming back next year. And that's one of the greatest things you can have is a quarterback that's committed to the program that you've seen improve within the program that's sticking around. Something that doesn't happen too often if you notice that there's 117 quarterbacks in the portal right now. There's 133 teams. So, and I think it's something like 80% of the starting quarterbacks are in the portal, like something absolutely ridiculous. And so, to retain drones and then to re- retain the other key underclassmen in Mansoor Delane was absolutely clutch. He hit us with that announcement last Friday in between the Strong and the Tootin announcements. And that was also his birthday. And he had put his brother Fahim had tweeted out, like, big news coming tomorrow, which got everyone all like, Excited about Mahim and what he Fahim and what he's doing with his his recruiting process and how he's narrowing that down. Well, we're we're in the finals for him potentially, but more importantly, Mansoor is coming back. And so you said it, Doug. We're getting both of our starting outside corners, even though we're losing Canteen. One of the reasons I think we're potentially losing Canteen is that the other two guys are coming back, and that he he want he it's good enough to be. A starting outside corner somewhere and he probably wants to do that but this this sets up a really really strong defense for us next year a thing that you wrote about today and i do want to get into that starting uh defensive lineup you kind of put into your article in a little bit couple more notes before we move to the commitments because i know everyone wants to hear about the commitments Derek Cantine is in the portal, but he is playing in the bowl game. Something important to note. He was working with the safety group because both Nazir peoples and Jalen Strowman are recovering from surgeries and will not play in the bowl game. And one of the really cool things that happened a couple of days ago is we saw Ali Jennings back at practice. Now don't get ahead of yourselves. He's not <laughs> going to be playing in this bowl game. I, I would say that's a 99% chance he's not playing in the bowl game, but it was really cool to see a guy who went down earlier this year with a pretty rough injury to be, back at practice and the final thing pry had was that he expects 10 guys to enroll for spring semester that's from high school and from portal i believe 10 10 new faces to get in there in spring which is good when you're when you're continuing to turn over this roster getting as many guys as you can in for spring is is key let's start with the portal ads and i'm going to add our other guest right now we got Jonathan French from the key play on the show french how you doing buddy
0: uh, it's been too long. Glad to be here with you guys. It's, That's a, exciting
1: right. day. <laughs> it's a very so. exciting day, and I'm glad that you messaged me. We were chatting just a little bit about the commitments that came in, and you, me and you have, have some of these sidebars sometimes where you're like, oh, this guy coming in, I don't know, or this guy, I'm very excited about his tape or whatever. So having you on the show after a couple years here, maybe, maybe more than a couple, um, it's awesome. So thank you for joining us. Let's talk about Montavious Cunningham first, the offensive lineman we got last week from Georgia State. He redshirted in 2021, played in eight games as a redshirt freshman in 22, starting four games. And then last year, he started all the games, full-time starter, over 700 snaps, only gave up two sacks and has a really nice ranking from 247 with a .87 as a transfer. Your initial thoughts on Montavious Cunningham, French, because he comes in as a tackle, but he's only six foot three. Do you think we could
0: move him around? I think he's a tackle. Um, he is a really interesting player to watch on film, has some a, a sort of a quirky stance. You don't see a whole lot of offensive linemen that are squatting, but are not putting their outside leg backwards. So it looks a little odd, But and he shuffles when he moves on a lot of plays. So a lot of folks are going to watch it and go, oh, that that looks awkward. And plus he's short. So maybe we'll move him inside. He has incredibly long arms and a strong upper body, good anchor. Um, I watched a whole lot of him against LSU, and while LSU's defense isn't what it has been, and and they're very passive, uh, but he didn't look out of place. He looked completely comfortable. Uh, you know, not really any blown assignments or plays where he looked like he got ragdolled and the quarterback got away so he didn't get credited with a sack. And then on plays where they run more of the Virginia Tech-style zone blocking, where he was asked not to shuffle, but to actually scoop a gap, take a hard, flat inside step and get inside position, he gets there consistently. It doesn't always look pretty, but he gets there. My, my only worry with Cunningham is he's so reliant on Getting his hands up quick on the outside shoulder of the defender, that I could see him getting called for holding penalties uh, in the ACC. But at the same time, I don't think he got called for a lot this year. So whatever he's doing, it's evading uh, evading the eyes of the um, officials. So I, I'm looking for more film. It's always hard to get tape on uh, FCA. I'm sorry, G5 programs, there's not as much tape available online. But again, that, that entire LSU game, I hate watching highlights. It's much better to watch a guy every down. You'll get a much better feel for him. And in his case, he looked perfectly comfortable uh, in that spot. Now, could they move him inside if Clements returns and is improved? Eh, possibly. But I don't think that they brought him in not to be uh, the right side. Tackle. You think he's, uh, he's a natural right tackle for us. And yeah. so, it's awkward looking, sort of like Blake DeChristopher was. It, it, it <laughs> was, wasn't pretty, but he got where he needed to go. And you expect him
1: to come in and start next year? Say, say we have the same guys we had
0: this year. Would you expect him to come in and grab that starting spot? I, I was a big fan of Clements as a freshman, and at times he flashes it. I know he's had some injury issues, but from a consistency standpoint, you're looking to upgrade. He's a right tackle. I I think based on the film that I've seen, I think he's consistently better than Parker Clements is today. So I think, yes, he could, he could step into that spot. Will he? Well, that's why, you know, you have spring and you have competition uh, and nothing's guaranteed. But when you just watch the tape of him, I think, you know, I think that they brought him in with the intention of upgrading that spot. Yeah. I'd like to see more upgrades inside, but that's a, a, another conversation. That makes sense.
1: And Doug, we were looking at a bunch of different offensive in in the portal. I mean, I think we offered as many as fifteen as of a couple of days ago. And so, do you think that Montavious Cunningham was pretty high up on that list in terms of who we were going after?
3: Yeah, yeah. You definitely. I was. I was going to follow up with that. And he. I definitely think he's was brought in to upgrade the the right tackle. I mean, he's a, he's literally right tackle. He played most of the season there, if not all of it. Um, and I think that's exactly I mean, that's exactly why they brought him in was to was to probably take over for Clements there. Um, you're you're talking about one of the early offensive linemen that they identified and went after. Um, at this point of the portal, that's that's what you're looking to do. Um, there's there's so much more to come in the portal in terms of offensive linemen, especially coming up after these bowl games. I think you'll see more more guys enter the portal. So I think. This initial kind of rush, you're pretty choosy, and you're you're prioritizing the guys you really like, and and Cunningham certainly, I think, I think fits the bill as like a guy they identified as he can up he can be an immediate upgrade for us at that spot.
1: Yeah, and you'll see the comment from Coach Holmes there. He uh he, he <laughs> hopped right in there on the height thing that uh that we were just talking about that French believes that he is a true right tackle he, and that he yeah is you
0: tackle. Yeah, you, you could tackle. move
1: him inside, but it's not all about height. It is, it can be about how long your arms are, right? I mean, that, that can be a huge factor in how keeping
0: guys away from you and your feet, right? French, mm-hmm. exactly. It's does he initiate contact with the defensive end or the defensive tackle if he's setting to the inside? Is he initiating contact before the defensive lineman can start to initiate their move? That way, you as an offensive lineman, you can dictate. Where he goes and then you redirect either direction and he shuffles well he moves well again it's not always pretty but he gets where he needs to be and you look at his arms and he doesn't have the arms of a 6-3 guy he may may be that height but when you have long arms and you pop and initiate contact and you can keep the defensive lineman off your body uh being a little shorter, if you can do all that, is a little bit of an advantage because you have leverage. You're up and underneath the defensive lineman. The difference is most 6'3 guys don't have long enough arms to initiate that contact. I can, I can say that as a guy who was small I, and short <laughs> arms. I struggled mightily with that. I was trying to pop off and hit the guy before he got out of his stance. And if I didn't, I was probably whipped on the play. So he does everything really, really well. Is he going to be a dominant run blocker? You know, he's not going to be Wyatt Teller, uh, but he does everything enough to be serviceable. And there were games this season where if the Hokies had a serviceable defensive line and a serviceable linebacking group, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that here in a second, you know, Virginia Tech probably wins games that they lost. Yep. And yeah, the offensive line was a killer. and, And again, I'm I, you know, I'm expecting hopefully two more guys that are upgrades. Not not two more guys for depth, but two more guys who are upgrades.
1: Yeah. From your lips to God's ears, three commits today. And that's something I, I want to talk about right now. And you just talked about the defensive line. And I'm going to let Doug start this one off because we got Aeneas Peebles from Duke, the defensive tackle. He was third team all ACC this year. Talk a little bit about like, that process with him and, and maybe – where else he might have gone instead of coming to the Hokies, Doug?
3: Uh, he was he was in on Louisville, I think. Is, I feel like Louisville is in on everyone. Um, <laughs> and from what we've heard, from what Evan has said, Evan Watkins at 24-7, he, he didn't want to go too far from home. He wanted to be able to – his family to travel. I think he has a brother coming up as well, so they got to do the Friday night game followed by the Saturday game weekend. So that was important. Um, the other big thing with him was the, the this relationship uh, Derek Jones, Tech's cornerbacks coach, had with him um, and his family going back several years. Uh, Jones, of course, was the Duke cornerbacks coach for more than a decade, I believe, under David Cutcliffe. So there's some, there were some lingering relationships there that they took advantage of um, and really closed the deal. APR was involved um, in, in selling him on what's possible um, with them playing next to each other, so you know, just a big get for Virginia Tech in terms of in terms of the um, gaping hole that was there at defensive tackle heading into this this off season, where you're losing Payne and Pollard and Kendricks. You're returning Fuga. Um, we, we I was talking about it earlier. You can get away with like three and a half defensive tackles over the course of the year, but it's dangerous. Um, they needed to get the four and some change, probably. Um, so with Fugan, Peebles, and then I'm sure we'll talk about Kamari Copeland, you're feeling a lot better um, about the defensive tackle room. I kind of compare it to what they did with the wide, rec- wide receiver room last year, where until they got those transfers last year, Dwan Lofton was the returning leading wide receiver. Um, so they, they did a really great job of identifying um, especially with Peebles a very high level talent he's probably a slight upgrade over Pollard which is surprising which I w- w- wasn't you know you're not really expecting when you're when you know you have that big of need in the portal you're not really expecting to upgrade um, over probably your best defensive tackle so um, big get I think PFF has him as like the number five defensive tackle and the power five. I think I saw him at in terms of guys that played that level of snaps. Um, I, if he, if he told me that was who they were going to land on um, that level of defensive tackle out of the portal this early um, can't be anything, but ecstatic about it.
1: Yeah. I thought it was a fantastic get. It's a guy I, I really wanted tech to go after and pull because one of the things Elko did was come in and then turn that Duke roster and, into something desirable. And, and Peoples was one of the highest ones on that list. He played in 47 games in his career. And you're right. Coach Cheetah, from what I'm hearing as well, was was deeply involved because of that relationship he had with the family and Duke and whatnot. French, what are your thoughts on Peoples and how he plays inside? Does he, does he compare to any of our former tackles in terms of style?
0: It, it, it's difficult to say. He's a really, really interesting watch on film. Um, The most interesting thing is with all that experience, third team all ACC, he wasn't a starter. Duke rotated four guys. Um, Dwayne Carter was the number one guy. I think he was first team all ACC. But at most, they would play six to eight reps and rotate in and out. So he was on the field uh, plenty, I I, I would argue, more than uh, Felderius Payne was this year. Um, So he's, he's a regular down guy, but he was constantly rotating in and out. Um, he's very twitchy, you know, very similar to Pollard in that regard, how he's better, uh, or Doug mentioned upgrade. Um, if he's an upgrade, it's because he can take on a double team and hold his ground a little better than Pollard did. That was always a, a struggle for Pollard and Mario Kendricks. Uh, they would tend to get washed out of the gaps. So his ability to, there's a, a play I'm doing in a film review coming up on Peebles where he eats a double team at Clemson. And it frees up both the inside linebacker and the corner to come as unblocked ha- uh, unblocked hats uh, because he's eaten up both linemen and the stupid corner followed the receiver inside on a crackback, ran out of the way, and the Clemson running back goes around the edge for twenty yards. <laughs> so it's like this is a highlight, but it's you know it's going to look bad, but it's really not. So I, I liked Peoples a lot. I-, I think the biggest issue with him is. How many more reps can he take on from what he was doing at Duke? And he played a lot, uh, but that gets us to what's the future? Who's the fourth defensive tackle? Can you keep his reps uh, at a minimum where he can be effective and compete at a high level? Sort of the same theory that you're looking at in the receiver room where you have four guys who are going to be pushing each other for reps rather than guys out there sort of going half speed because they have to save their energy. The Two Deep Hokies Under the Influence podcast is brought to you by McCoy's Auto Repair in
1: Radford. Who doesn't love supporting a local family-owned and operating business? You know I do. I know French and Doug do too. Uh, They were established in 1980. They offer full service, including major and minor repairs. They do oil changes, state inspections. They sell tires. They can rebuild your transmission. They can do just about anything. Uh, So head to McCoy's Auto Repair. This winter for all of your vehicle maintenance needs, they can even pick you up and drop you off if you can't get to the shop from work, which is clutch. So give them a call. The number is right on the screen. 540-639-2933, and you can also find them on Facebook. It's a very easy find. Just type McCoy's Auto right into the search bar. It'll pop up. Thank you McCoy's for being a sponsor for us for this season. We're about to turn over into 2024, but you are definitely the most legitimate sponsor this podcast has ever had, so we appreciate it. And just like that old hokey buddy of yours, McCoy's is a name you can trust. Let's talk about that potential fourth defensive tackle, because I'm looking at Kamari Copeland and his Juco commitment to the DL from Iowa Western. But he's a Virginia Beach kid. He's from Kellum High School, six two, two eighty five. So that to me, it seems like a guy who's going to play inside. Uh, I, I I could be wrong about that, but not not many not many defensive ends are two eighty five unless you're James Gale having to go on a diet for for a minute there. But um, <laughs> but Copeland was a .8856 in the composite, fourth ranked recruit in the class in the composite, and the fifth ranked JUCO DL. Sometimes these JUCO guys come in though, and they are more of a project. Copeland has a YouTube channel dedicated to like his workouts and his game highlights and stuff. He's got like 5,000 subscribers on his own personal YouTube channel. I would, I would check it out. The guy's a monster. Like I don't think there's a lot of physical development that has to happen for him. Uh, French, do you see him being able to contribute early? Are you high on his upside?
0: Yes. Loved, loved his film. Again, not being able to watch every snap. Uh, which is the challenge with judging a guy on highlights uh, is always challenging. But what you do see in the highlights, he's incredibly explosive, but he's not just an athletic guy who you know gets off the ball and you know, can run down the ball. He uses every leverage move known to man. He is great with his hands. Now, he's 6'2", 285, a little undersized, but it's exactly what – tech you know has used at the defensive tackle position and and prize defense is so similar to bud foster's is style wise that you know i think he fits in really well i actually see him as the third defensive tackle and the guy you're subbing in as passing downs i think his uh upside is is higher than wilford panay i actually wrote some comments on the key play today where i would i would be intrigued at getting a fourth defensive tackle moving panay out to end because when he played in against UVA, he looked pretty comfortable. But yeah, Cop- Copeland, what he showed in the highlight reel, explosive, refined technique. The biggest worry with him is he's going against Ju- Juco offensive linemen. He was very rarely double teamed. When you get into tight spaces, can he play in tight spaces against contact? I think he can. The first thing I look for, especially in offensive and defensive linemen, is do those feet keep moving at contact? His do. And that that right off the bat, you can do something with that guy as long as he can anchor against a double team, keep those feet chopping, and either eat up blocks or get off blocks and make plays. If there was a critique of the Hokies defensive tackle room this year, um, with Payne being the exception as the year moved on, there were way too many times teams were able to block the Hokies defensive tackles one-on-one and without those guys punishing the offense for doing it. They did some, mm-hmm. but, you know, especially the games like Louisville and Florida State, you didn't see those guys getting off blocks and making plays. And, uh, you know, you either have to be able to eat a double team and keep your linebacker clean, or if they block you one-on-one, make them sorry for it. And didn't see enough of that this year. Copeland's a guy that comes in and I think has the upside to make make teams sorry for it. Now, you want to compliment him with a guy who can eat those double teams. If he's going to be similar to Payne, you know, try to put him out a little wider in a a three or four technique and shooting through the gap. But, uh, you know, he, he's got kind of that Corey Marshall, Woody, Woody Barron with maybe more explosiveness you know, makes me just want to rub my hands together and laugh maniacally. Uh, veterans of Twitter, you know the million-dollar man laugh. That's, I'm yes, yes, exactly. I can bring, I'm hoping I can bring Copeland out uh, for a few sacks and pull out the uh, million-dollar man gif uh,
1: again this year. You know, the, the Corey Marshall comp is interesting because Corey Marshall, like I, I think Copeland's a little bit bigger than he is, maybe mm-hmm. slightly. But Marshall – in yeah he's taller in those short spurts when he was healthy marshall was so dynamic um kind of like a tasmanian devil type uh that Mm -hmm. would be great if he if he turned out to be someone like him in terms of copeland doug was this the juco guys are always interesting like do we how did this come to be in terms of were we on him from high school because he went to army so i guess like there wasn't and the staff wasn't here when all that went down yeah. or they might've just been getting to Blacksburg when all that went down and he developed a little bit at army, but more so when he got to Juco. So, and he picked, but he did pick us over a bunch of other
3: big programs. Yeah. NC state was in on him, which I think Charlie Wiles, uh, stamp of approval <laughs> is a pretty good one to have for the defensive yes. line. Um, Arkansas, Tennessee. Uh, there's one other program i'm forgetting probably Louisville. auburn um auburn um but he was a guy evan says he, he was talking on our podcast that he got lost in the covid wash um mm. one of those high school pros coming out of high school that you know that funky 2020 2021 where you just guys guys just didn't get evaluated or didn't get the work the 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 conditioning in the weight room i think he was like 215 to 220 at that point like a kid, he's a guy that once he got into a structured weight program and um got out of the covid era mm-hmm. um he, now he's you what know, whatever he's 285 or 280 <laughs> um so that's that's where he's a kind of a late bloomer in that sense um and obviously as a virginia kid coming um or a, a Virginia high school kid, obviously at Iowa or in Iowa for junior college, a guy that Tech had on their radar pretty early of of being uh, one of the one of the defensive tackles that is going to solve their their big problem at defensive tackle.
1: Yeah, and and that's something Rob and I were on all year. Is that once, first of all, the defensive tackle play kind of waffled good and bad throughout the year. And depending on opponent, depending on scheme and everything else, we all saw it. Uh, And it wasn't a mystery that our run defense struggled. So getting these two commitments, when we're losing those three guys, especially Payne, who, when he played in those spots, he was huge for us down the stretch. Rob, you got to be feeling good about shoring up one of these deficiencies that we had all year. And especially in light of them departing.
2: Yeah. Especially them departing. And I think I think it's a huge testament to um, APR and and what he kind of said to on that recruiting, which is you know, I I need somebody next to me that can shore up the center so I can go on the edge right and and do what I want to do. And I think this really opens him up, and even more so than this, with with Pollard and Kendricks and those guys up in the center, it was. I don't know how much of it might have been opponent's scheme, but it was so Jekyll and Hyde. There were there were times that Pollard was an animal getting off blocks, and it, it looked really good. And then other times he was nowhere to be seen for for almost entire game, three fourths of a game that you didn't even you didn't even notice him in there. And um, I have to believe, and this is not a slight whatsoever against Pollard and Kendricks, that. If these we know what Pebbles uh is and we're we're kind of guessing what Copeland is, but I think this has potential with APR coming back in another season under um a coaching staff that he he now knows in a location that he now knows that it could be an upgrade across the line in terms of the 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 starters. We'll see what happens if we if we fill out the defensive tackles with uh with additional depth and get to that four or five number that would make us all a lot more
1: comfortable. Yeah, and I want to talk about right now the guys behind that line because we struggled mightily in the run defense because of what was mostly behind them and, and the safeties being banged up and the linebacking position kind of being different guys thrown into positions that they're not natural for. And we went out and we got Sam Brunfield to come in, Brumfield, to come in from Middle Tennessee State. 5'11", 226. He was the leading tackler for for the Blue Raiders. Six and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, eight hurries, and two forced fumbles on the year. 45 solo tackles from that middle linebacker position. If you go to the 247 rankings, which we're going to do because we got Doug here, he was the 11th ranked linebacker in the portal. Out of 172 linebackers, he was number 11, or at least that's what he is right now. These things are very fluid. .86 transfer rating. Was in JUCO just a year before he was at Middle Tennessee State. So he's kind of leveling up and continues to level up. But this is a very big addition for us because of the lack of natural middle linebackers in our program at this time. At least that's what it seems like to me. French, what's your take on Brumfield coming in and do you see him being able to step in and be that
0: starting Mike for us? Well, if he does step in and become the starting Mike, I think that that is a telling story about the status of the linebacker room at the tail end of the season. Um, I was pretty underwhelmed by Brumfield's film. I know he had a, a good PFF score and And i appreciate that uh didn't start out the year as a starter um of course his first actions against alabama that's a you know coming out you know that's tough sledding right there uh but he got into the game pretty early and played a a good number of snaps i thought it was interesting again with uh, g5 teams it's harder to get film for so what film i've seen uh, the only flags that concern me one He gets taken out uh, in nickel packages, or at least Middle Tennessee did. So he's not an every down linebacker. That doesn't mean he could be. I I didn't see uh, Pry doing a lot of uh, pulling his linebackers on third and long uh, to to replace for a nickel. Uh, He was taken out in goal line situations. Um, Middle Tennessee State put in a a different linebacker. I'm forgetting, I believe it was number five, would come in and replace him in, in goal line situations. Uh, But you talk about true Mike linebacker, that he is. He will get into the right gap and he'll fill it to the best of his ability. He has a little bit more than Alan Tisdale ability to to get off a block and make a tackle in a tight space. I think the worry with Brumfield is polar opposite of what you didn't worry about with Tisdale is that if the ball gets away and and you need someone to run to the ball, uh, Brumfield's not going to you know, not going to blow anybody away with uh, shedding a block and making a play three gaps away type of thing. So I think he's a guy who, if there isn't growth in the position, if uh, let's say McDonald uh, Lawson, they decide Lawson ends up being the will and McDonald competes for the mic. I think that'll be an interesting competition. I think that McDonald actually probably has more physical upside, but as we saw this year, none of the guys playing linebacker really were comfortable in what they needed to do at the position. Um, we don't know anything about Doug. Probably knows way better than me uh, what kind of progress AC and Stevens. I'm, I hope I'm saying the young man's name correctly. Uh, how he's looking. Uh, there could be you know other options coming in, but you know if if the room is in the state it was last year, I think he starts. If um, someone takes a big step forward and that's what we hope for in player development, then he's a guy who can play if someone gets hurt, uh, sort of a Barkell reverse type who, you know, may have some limited upside, but he can play the position and you know exactly what you're gonna get from him out there. At the same time, you know, if he gets pushed around out of a gap that he fits, I mean, he's 5'11", 230, and he was JUCO and playing at MTSU. So that's you know, sort of what you get.
1: Yeah. And well, there there's also the hope that in an off season with a more big time program and a more astute linebackers coach and Chris Marv and Brent Pry that he could take yet another step forward. Yeah. But you are looking at 5'11", 226, and yeah. he's probably not built like a keg like Rayshard Ashby. Yeah. No. <laughs> so so it, it, there could be some physical limitations on Brumfield. Nevertheless, you talked about you know, some of these guys that are physical freaks in our linebackers room this past year, but they really struggled to play the position.
0: Yeah. And so not your right place. It doesn't do you any good.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. And like, and I, I love Kelly Lawson. He's a, he's a literally a freak if you go to Bruce Feldman's article, but he was playing a lot on natural ability and, and maybe, you know, the head catching up with the feet, Bud Foster saying that happened to a lot of our linebackers and it, and it just wasn't there. I think Brumfeld is a key addition and someone I'm going just just from a a floor aspect of how bad our run defense was at times this past year I feel better right there right off the bat um but yes there are there are probably some limitations here Doug Sam was being pursued by a handful of other places like I know I know he had people very interested in him and we were after I know we're going after linebackers. Where, where do you think Brumfield falls on our, on our list?
3: I think he was one of two. He's probably the, I don't know if there, if it was one, two, two, one, or Alex Howard was the other kid, the um, transfer from Youngstown state that they brought in. I think he visited the week before Brumfield did. He committed to A&M yesterday or something. Um, so I think those were the two guys they identified early. We knew we knew Brumfield was they were on Virginia Tech was on him pr- pretty soon after he entered the portal. Um I think there's a Marv connection there. Um so so they were on him early again I think it says a lot about their preparation and their prior priority when they're making moves on guys at this like initial stage of the transfer portal. Um and I think it, uh, yeah I, yeah, I think like,
1: it's not just uh, it's not just putting out any offer it's putting out an offer and going after and not wasting time and resources on a guy, you know, you can't get if they felt like they had a good chance and they feel like he fits the need, they're going to go and they're going to prioritize him. And I do, I do have faith in this staff just because of what we talked about earlier and how well organized they seem to be when it comes to this portal and recruiting game that they prioritize the right guys. And if they can get one
3: of them, then I feel good about it. Uh, is it, that is that your take? It feels like that, except for offensive line. I feel like, <laughs> I, like just in general, like well, last I, year like, was a
1: little bit weird because the of whole, the whole the
3: changeover. The whole offering, like I feel like offensive line is every program just kind of offers the guys and then figures out <laughs> if they take them later. Um, Fair enough. And there was that one I forget his name, but he visited in Tech didn't. Pursue. I think he was the UTEP transfer. So there's a little bit of that where you're offering to get on the list, to get the visit, to get in the mix, and then you're kind of making your decision on which way you go later. It's
1: not necessarily a committable
3: offer. It's, it's the of. same thing, but offensive line is such a everybody wants offensive linemen. And I mean, we saw last year um, with Troy Everett, the uh, he played half the year at App State and ends up at Oklahoma um, after considering tech and I think he, he played fewer snaps um, at Oklahoma this year than he did um, at App State, but it's there's so there's so few good offensive linemen that enter the portal that you got to get in the mix yep. to have a chance at the ones that eventually you do get comfortable being like, I, yeah, <laughs> what's a take? Um, and I
1: guess that's why we had 15 offers out there within a couple of days. That's <laughs> a, That's the one
3: position that's different. Like, right. Like linebacker was two. Um, Defensive tackle, there was Copeland and Peebles, and uh, maybe a couple other guys involved there. But like, the offensive line is the one position where you just saw the, the offers go out. Um, and so
1: we got a question on the screen now from Drew. After all of today's commitments, which position do y'all think we need to prioritize? And Robbie, I'll start with you. Uh, you you see, we get these defensive linemen in. We still get we get an offensive tackle, and we get the linebacker. What do you think we need to go after next? is it another one of those positions like that we've already gotten or is it, is it a different position?
2: I'd still go with offensive line. Um, it's, that would, that would be my, Give me offensive line or I'll I'll go with the least say, I'll go with the kicker in the first round of uh, your fantasy league. I'll go with a uh, blocking tight end. How about that? Uh, so we can get, yeah, about uh, a true blocking tight end. And
1: we are still waiting to hear about Gallo, right? I mean, there is there is the potential that he could he could come back.
2: I, I say that in jest, but we're going to see what happens with Gallo. But I mean, that is actually. It's it's not a critical critical need, but it is something that we're going to want to fill in. Uh, but I, I'll stick with offensive <laughs> offensive line for me.
3: Doug, what would you say? Uh, I'm looking for a safety. Um, I, that feels like the last spot on the defense that needs a little help. After, if you assume Jalen Stroman probably has one of the starting spots, and it's that leaves Jalen Jones, uh, most Phillips. I threw out, maybe they think about Keontae Jenkins sliding backwards, um, from the, I really want to get position. Jenkins back,
1: man. I really want it, to get him back.
3: If I could see that, um, at least in this spring as he's a 6th year guy, I don't know how much more he needs to like, yeah, extensive reps there. Um, and in the name of getting your best 11 players on the field, if that's, if those are your options, if Jenkins Jones and. Phillips are the safety options at that other spot. I think it's, it's worth a look. Um, but if you can find a a starting safety, um, in the portal, I think, I think you go for it when you look at the rest of the defense and you're filling in your spot at defensive tackle, you're filling in, you feel good about APR and Cole Nelson, probably a defensive end cornerback, obviously Stroman, if he can stay on the field, um, that feels like the last major question mark. Will is the other linebacker spot, but I can get behind saying Kelly Lawson's light is going to turn on and it's all going to, you know, (laughs) given his athletic, given his athletic ability and his potential, I, you know, and the experience he's built up over the last two years, I can get behind that more than Jones or Phillips being absolutely ready at safety.
0: Yeah. French, how about you? Give me my uh, carving knives. Center, right guard, (laughs) right off the bat, please. I'm so tired of seeing offensive linemen coming off the snap, planting their feet and trying to hang clean defensive tackles. It never works. I've been saying it for 12 years. If the offensive linemen's feet stop at contact, there's only so far they're going to improve. So if the right guy becomes available and is interested in Virginia Tech, Offer him. Deal with the consequences later. I know, uh, you know, Caden and uh, Braylon Moore have been here for a while, uh, but but you can recruit over them uh, if need be. And then, of course, Bob Schick struggled. Although he played pretty well against UVA, but most of the rest of the year, I think most folks would say that he and Brody Meadows were, uh, you know, uh, struggling a good bit, especially with more athletic defensive tackles. That's my first priority. Uh, again. If I knew the answers to the unknowns, ranking in priority, you could put them in a bag, and it just depends on what the coaches are seeing in practice with the current uh, group of uh, student athletes. But a fourth defensive tackle, ideally someone who's very similar to Fuga in terms of being able to eat up double teams, I think that that would complement Copeland and put a guy inside of APR that can draw double teams and free him up in space. Because, frankly, APR doesn't play real well in – hand-to-hand combat situations. I uh, wouldn't mind a, a, a higher-level linebacker unless, again, Stevens has taken a big uh, step forward or they think uh, Gabriel Williams or one of the linebackers they're bringing in has a lot of upside, and I'd prefer not to play those guys as freshmen. Same with at Laws. I think Emmett Laws is going to be great, but I don't want him playing as a freshman at 275 pounds. You know, I think he'll... Uh, I'd like to see him get some time to grow a little bit. I think he can be, uh, you know, sort of uh, enticing on film the way Copeland is. And I agree on the safety position without knowing, you know, I heard nothing about Cam Fleming, a guy who I saw in person last year uh, and, you know, thought he was pretty good. I didn't hear anything about his development uh, this year, and he certainly wasn't a mix for playing time. You know, I've heard po- folks are very enthusiastic about Cam Reddish. Uh, but again, two young and guys, if you can bring in a safety who's a clear upgrade, who you don't feel that Jones, Phillips, uh, Reddish, Fleming, uh, I'm, I may be leaving guys out. But if you don't think one of those guys uh, can beat him out day one of camp, then I think you look for, you know, potential options. And if someone doesn't want to compete for that spot, then, those are the folks you have the tough conversations with uh with with tight end you all mentioned I'm not as worried about that even if Gallo doesn't come back you know I think Gosnell needed to work on his blocking but for first time out coming back from a knee injury I thought he was pretty good yeah um Wright's catches are going to go to Jennings I think that that's the you'll see Jennings pretty much doing what I was doing in terms of motioning and Short and intermediate routes on passing downs. So I don't think you're losing anything in the passing game there. And uh, Gosnell was a, a moderately better blocker than Wright when Wright wanted to block. Wright was terrible when he didn't want to block. <laughs> um, I'd like to see a good blocking tight end. So i St. Germain underwhelmed me, and I don't think that the uh, Wimbush kid. Uh, I, I, from what I saw of him in film in high school, I don't think that that's he's more of a right type of player. So that might be one area, but that's not something that you go out and you make that right. Like like Robbie said, the area. kicker
1: in your fantasy draft, not not yeah. exactly. Your high.
0: First, if your third tight end is costing you games, you've got the <laughs> issues.
1: and and quickly French. Um, there's a question for you on the screen. How do you prefer to build? No lie,
0: inside O L inside out or tackle in? Um, tackles and centers. Uh, the left tackle is the hardest position to play, uh, and it's the most coveted. So if you can get a good left tackle, you always want to fill that position. Doug, Doug may be able to talk a little bit more about uh, you know how the pursuit of Mills uh, Monroe Mills, I think is his name from Texas Tech, is going. I've watched some tape on him, but I don't. He may have committed to somebody else tonight. I don't know, uh, but uh, he's a very natural left tackle. Isn't a great run blocker, but a very good pass blocker. Uh love that first. And then, you know, guards, uh, a lot of it depends on what scheme you're playing. I say center when you've got to take on a team uh, that has uh, plays a four man front and guards when you play a team that has an, an odd front and you've got to scoop that nose tackle. That's that's the toughest block for a right guard or a left guard and tech was not good at it so you got a little bit of both there you want to you want to not outside in or outside good offensive (laughs) line i missed the only good thing about 2020 is khalil herbert running through holes that i could throw a table through yeah in a lot of cases i don't think that the fan base appreciates how good that offensive line was from a a run-blocking perspective. Her- Herbert was an okay running back. He's doing well in the NFL, but he wasn't Ryan Williams. If Ryan Williams has those holes, my God. <laughs> oh, Herbert, be... had, Herbert had
1: that speed, and he was able to manipulate his body through oh, yeah. the holes very well off yeah. one cut, one foot in the ground, which yeah. it was a perfect marriage. Sometimes really... he could
0: have gone through those holes in a wheelchair. And I <laughs> yeah, think that's he, true. That's true. The left side of the <laughs> offensive line that hey, year was great. and To see where going from that, to where the offensive line was two years later was painful. Very, I have, very painful.
3: I have distinct memories of that NC state game. That was the first game of the year, that COVID mm-hmm. year where you're all, you're just dying for it. And then all of a sudden, like I think it was his first run. It's like the hole opens between Daris Hall oh and God. whoever the left guard was that year. Lucidus, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it's Lusita's Lusitas. Been, And there's like nobody within 12 yards of him and,
0: they they were really really like, really. What good. is happening? They weren't the best pass blocking bunch, but my God, yeah. they could they could move move bodies in the run game. I mean, they set the record for
1: yards per carry for a season. I mean, Khalil did, but that they as a as a team did, and that was that was pretty spectacular. I want to ask you guys a little bit about twenty twenty four you'll see this on the screen too rumor mill is mills is trending toward louisville but nothing definite so i just wanted to put that up there real quick from
3: M, I was gonna M- say M- i'm telling down. you louisville is in on everything they are
1: they're, and they're <laughs> to beat didn't we beat out louisville for who was it was it copeland
3: or was it somebody Peebles. else
1: Peebles, people's all right